It went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook. Welcome to another edition of For the Good of the Game and Bruce Devlin. We have with us this morning our first guest from France, the Crocodile Kid. That's right. Oh boy, what a story this is. This this lady won the 67 US Open Championship as an amateur and then was the only player I think that's ever held the US, British, French and Spanish amateur championships in the same year. And I believe if my research, mine and Mike's research is right, she won 12 straight tournaments from October 68 to October 69. And what a pleasure to uh, have Catherine Leclos with us this morning. Uh, we uh, really appreciate you coming on uh, for, good, for the good of the game. Thank you very much, Bruce, and thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here and a great honor. Well, we're really looking forward to it, Catherine. It is such a great record. Uh, and uh, to think that you uh, you stayed a lifelong amateur, which we're going to talk about because that was a thought process, a conscious thought process and decision you made. As you know, we always start at the beginning. And uh, so we're going to want to know what life was like growing up as a little girl in France. And particularly, we're going to want you to tell us a little bit about your parents as well, because uh, uh, they were famous in their own right, weren't, weren't they? I quite understand. I think uh, my parents were fantastic people, fantastic parents, uh, wonderful father and mother. And uh, funnily enough, my mother was the great uh, golf champion in the British, where the only mother and daughter wanted to get. So that was a great pleasure. And uh, my father was obviously the great Lacoste, the tennis player. But um, they were just wonderful people. I was very, very lucky to be their daughter. They taught me many things. Uh, my father, funnily enough, was the, the technician for, the, for golf because yeah. uh, my mother didn't look that much technique, but uh, my father, being a very good technique in tennis, uh, I think he, he enjoyed Ben Hogan. He studied lots of books about Ben Hogan and Orson Smith for the putting. And yeah. two books that he really pushed me into, especially the Orson Smith I studied myself. I think it helped me very much for my putting. And he always had a little criticism, but a constructive criticism about my, my game, about the round that I'd had. I didn't like him being on the course because <laughs> I felt that he was looking at my swing more, more than anything else. My mother, Uncle Che, was uh, lovely. And she accompanied me in most of my tournaments until I was 21. And, uh, but I started really very late in comparison to what we start now. I started really having lessons about eight years old, which is normal. But I didn't. I was still twenty-four handicap when I was thirteen, which yeah. is nowadays. I mean, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be a very. It'd be very surprising. Yeah. I started then at thirteen. I had the luck. Uh, I had a teacher, Jean Gahayard's father, who was Remo Gahayard, was my teacher. He's a wonderful man, wonderful teacher. He didn't play much, but he had two sons. Obviously, Jean Gahayard was probably been that the best ever. French player, and yeah, he was he was his player. son. He played a lot of my my brothers. They were the same age, my oldest brothers. And, but I had the lessons with uh, Remo Gaillard, and Jean gave me the, my first putter, and the putter that accompanied me all my life, which I think is also very, very rare. I'm, very I don't know rare. If, uh, 
somebody has done all his careers. I think there's only one tournament and not a very big tournament that I didn't play without putter. It's a mm. golden goose, a blade putter, yeah. Uh, yeah. quite light. And um, I, I, put, I was considered to be a good putter. And uh, so I think that was a good choice also. He gave me the, that putter when I was 13 years old. I was also very lucky at the beginning. He asked me to play in a, what you call now pro-am, but it was alliances then. It was playing one amateur and one pro, which is obviously to play with Jean Garriard. Uh, every summer we had a, a series of uh, alliances in the uh, end of August in Biarritz and in Saint-Jean-de-Luz. And um, he asked me to be his partner. So one day we, we played a foursome and the next the other day we played a four ball. What uh-huh. an opportunity. And I, <laughs> I saw all of the, the brothers, uh, Miguel, Sebastian and Angel Miguel, who were fantastic Spanish players at that time. Yes, they Pepe were. Gallardo and uh, so many as uh, the Ballesteros uncle, also Ramon Sota who I oh, played sure. also with him sure. at that time. So it's really historic uh, golf at the time. As, as you were asking about France and France's golf at that time, there were about 35,000 uh, golfers or something like that. There wasn't very many. Mm-hmm. So nowadays it's so, so much bigger. And yeah. uh, But uh, it was a good experience in golf. And uh, very. I think uh, it wasn't only hitting the ball very far. It was really working at your short game, which I think perhaps is something that has lost the golf game at the moment. Uh, they talk <laughs> yeah. too much about the length and uh, the, the short game is so important. And I always tell the, the, the youngsters, work twice as long on your short game than on your uh, long your game. long game, yeah. Uh, I think at my at my peak, I had probably three hours lesson a week in the, with the, my teacher, which hitting the big ball, the long balls, mm-hmm. uh, long shots, and uh, on the contrary, by myself, I played a short game a lot. Yeah, and I think uh, it's a bit different to nowadays. I think at that point of view. Well, you certainly hear about the long ball and the length uh, a lot more, but it, uh, the the importance of the short game has never gone away, has it? No, no that hasn't changed. <laughs> so you mentioned your, your teacher. So Jean was a, a, a fine player in his own right, uh, as was his father. Uh, Jean won the 1969 French Open, becoming the first fella in a while to win your National Open, right? That was, that was Jean, but Raymond was his father, who didn't play that much golf. And and Bruce, uh, did you know that name, Jean? Uh, oh, uh, yes. During yeah, your time? There were all the names that uh, Catherine mentioned were all, all players of my era. And, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. and uh, she, I don't know if Catherine knows, but you know that I won the French Open too. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a lot. Of, uh, it's, uh, it's all, as a matter of fact, my wife was the biggest French fan, I think, of anybody that I've ever known. She loved Paris. She loved to go to Paris. I don't, you know, I wasn't personally. I was more of a, more of a Rome guy, but she loved Paris. I'm not surprised. It's a lovely yeah. town. Which is better town. than now. Then nowadays, nowadays, I'm not sure it's quite as much fun. But uh, yeah, at that time, it's, I, I spent my first 25 years of my life in Paris, so I was Parisian also. Yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, Sevi's uncle Ramon. Uh, I remember meeting him at uh, Santander, or not at Santander, but Padreña Golf Club. Uh, 
several years ago, I stopped by and, and just said hello. I've got a picture with him uh, in his you know little Spanish beret, if you will. And uh, mm-hmm. he was quite a player in his own right, wasn't he? He certainly was. He, I think they, they, I, they don't think they had that much contact, but they were said something at Pedreña, the, the, the course. I had the uh, experience in Pedreña quite early. I played with Manolo Ballesteros, who was the, the, one of the big brothers of Severiano. And yeah. uh, I think I just won the US Open. And um, he asked me to come over and play with him hand-to-hand from the back tees, and I did that. And I think we shared <laughs> in the last hole. So I was very happy with that. But Seve was only about nine years old, so it was very early. Mm. After that, I knew Seve very, very well. In fact, I was at the, the basis of the making of the Spanish Open, the mm-hmm. Peugeot, uh, Peugeot Spanish Open for about eight or nine years old, because uh, at that time, about in the 80s, I met the publicity people from uh, Peugeot, and um, he... He said he wanted Severiano to be part of the time where he was really playing so well, and the part of the publicity of the Peugeot Lacoste, which is a, a car that was, was uh, together with Lacoste, they, they built the Peugeot, which is a two or four, and two five. And um, they asked me, and I said, "Okay, well, we called uh, Severiano's manager, and we got to him, and just uh, Benson Hedges had just uh, cancelled out of sponsoring the Spanish Open." So uh, they said, well, do you want to sponsor the tournament? And uh, that went on for eight or nine years. So it was, I was mm. really made with that, with Seve. I, I really, I was friends with. He was a fantastic man. Uh, mm. so, such a genius because uh, I remember just sitting beside him when he, behind him when he was practicing and just watching. It was just magical. Mm, and yeah. uh, so I played a few proams with him, which was great fun, obviously. Yeah. Well, as you can imagine, his name has come up a lot on our program, particularly as we talked to some of the men champions, and they all marveled at his mastery around the greens. Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure. I remember we had a, a nine holes. Uh, they did a publicity nine holes to take a lot of pictures with uh, because of this uh, uh, car that we had between Lacoste and Peugeot. And I remember him giving me a few tips in a bunker. I got some pictures of him. Uh, they in fact on my webpage as you probably saw and it's, yeah. uh, it's rather fun and I mean it was magic to be to be his friend and just peace was so uh, in fact I can be proud of but in Santander one day he was playing and he was having trouble with putting and I went on the putting green and tried to give him a few tips I don't know if it, they were worth something or not <laughs> but he was very jealous of me because he'd never won the Open so oh. he said, oh, you won the Open. I haven't been able to win it. It's just funny. Uh, in fact, uh, in the, the book that they wrote about me in the Feder- French Federation, I have a, the first page is a, a mention of him him saying that I have the genius of the game, which is a very good compliment coming for somebody like Severiano Ballesteros. Yeah. I was going to ask you, which of your parents was most influential in your game, but it sounds like you extract a little bit of everything from both of them. Yeah. Yes, I think my father, certainly technically, certainly my father, because with Raymond Gahayal, they, they talked a lot together, and uh, they, my father directly practically never um, said anything directly to me not to complicate things, and um, so it was sort of translated. In fact, there's a I think on my webpage there's some pictures of uh, uh, comments 
uh, for my father on a uh, sort of transparent some some pictures of me for golf uh, swings and the comments mm. of my father uh, talking about it. He he certainly was a wonderful technician. Uh, there's no doubt that he, he did other things incredible with the, obviously the shirt and the the first metal racket in tennis. I mean, that's his first one he that was on in the scene was his his that was after that given to or sold to Wilson with which Connors Connors probably used it. Connors right? plays. Huh? He won yeah. 120 tournaments with uh, that racket. Yeah, was that so, the T2000? T2000, 3000, 4000. Gotcha. That was yeah. based on the invention of my father and uh, his first red metal racket. Yeah, and just Amazing. for our listeners, uh, Rene Lacoste uh, was a seven-time Grand Slam winner, winning the French Open right. three times, the U.S. Open a couple of times, I think, and the Wimbledon twice as well, and, right? And Davis Cup. Davis Cup and, for the yeah. That's right. And, yeah. and I, I think uh, our younger listeners probably forget because Davis Cup back in the day was a much bigger deal than it than it is nowadays. Wouldn't you agree? I don't know. Perhaps. I, I don't hear much about the Davis Cup as I did when I was younger. Let's just put it that way. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. But it yeah. was a great, great competition. In fact, when you say we start from the beginning, uh, I'd say that when you talk about my game, uh, there's, I think, one sentence missing. My first very big tournament I won was the World Team Championship because uh, we're a team who won it, but I first individual there also with right. Carol Sorensen. I was 19 years old only. I think that's the really big, but there was some obviously some juniors before. Yeah, but, that was uh, in 64, right? 1964. Yeah, exactly. In well, fact, what? that's where started my adventure in the United States because uh, there was uh, Mrs. Prunery who was captain of the American team, a lovely lady, and she talked to my parents and said after that tournament, she said, told them you've got to take her to the U.S. Open. And uh, that's how why I think certainly it was provoked by this conversation that my parents took me over to the United States. I played the first one in 65 in yeah. Atlantic City, which is a wonderful memory. I finished 14th, which wasn't bad at 20 years old. And um, <laughs> then I went over with them, in fact, in a, in a wonderful trip because it was in on the France, which is the, one of the big cruise boats that was so wonderful. Did New York, uh, Paris, New York, which was incredible. And then I played in Pennsylvania, won Lady Carling Open. It was on my birthday that year in 65, and then went over to Atlantic City. I met a in, uh, incredible gentleman who's called Stan Dudius, who was uh, director at Atlantic City at that time. He was very, very kind. He was sweet with me. He helped me and some tips. We played on the course together. It was fun. And yeah. then uh, so I finished 14th and then came back two years later. Yeah, so uh, you've just taken our listeners from a 23 handicap to playing in yeah. the U.S. Open. <laughs> well. <laughs> That's quite a leap. It's practically that because I was uh, I used to play only in the holidays and between uh, 14 and 16, let's say. The yeah. 16, I played a bit more in Paris and then went down little by little. And um, I don't know. I was uh, still six handicap at 16. And then mm. uh, little by little, I went down to, to two. And when I I'd won, I won the French uh, junior 
tournament, which was uh, also a good, very good tournament. I think all the good ladies at that time, as juniors, played the, the, the in Saint Cloud. We had the uh, Coupe Esmond, which is a it still still goes on at that time in Saint Cloud in the spring at the Easter time. So okay, so you're 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 getting down to a two now. So now you're ready to play some competitions. But uh, well, uh, uh, then but then what happened? I had fantastic players in France at that time because we had Brigitte Vahango and Claudine Cross, who were great champions. They came out of the states. They didn't win, but they they very very good tournament. Brigitte won three times the British, mm-hmm. so it certainly was mm-hmm. uh, already a criteria. And uh, in fact, at the time when I was 19, uh, they, they hesitated if it was the first world team championship. They hesitated to take us the third player. The, in fact, the first wife of Jean Gaillard was Odile uh, Semling, and uh, she was playing very well, a bit older than I was. And they made us play a, a match between us to know who would be the third, and I won it. So I played. And um, uh, so... That's the first really of a very very international career, but it uh, it didn't it did certainly it sounds as you said it was very quick, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I started late really so. Yeah, well, I want to I do want to take our listeners back to that uh, inaugural World Team Championship that you referred to in 1964, the Espirito Santo. Uh, a lot of parallels with uh, Bruce Devlin's experience, so I want to come back to that. But uh, as you talk about your game developing. And you talked about all this time you spent on the short game. I understand you enjoyed the longer clubs as well. Yes. And you, I'm sure you're talking about my one arm. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed very much. We didn't, I didn't like a five wood. And I had the, I think, one, two. I had, the, I, have a, I had a two wood and I had three wood. But uh, probably a four wood. Five wood appeared later in my career. And um, I didn't. I've never had a, the, the the seven seven woods, six wood. I don't know yeah. what they have now. <laughs> I used to use the one, two, three iron, and like them. I thought they were very effective, very good in the wind, yeah. and um, very precise. And, and I don't know. I I always liked very much the one iron. In fact, in the the British I played in '69 um, for the, the on the tees. I played quite a few one hands on the tee because there was a bit of wind and uh, it was much much more effective with the port rush I played. And um, I mean, it, I thought it was very much more effective than a driver. Yeah, very good. And very hard to find a one iron these days. Most players, modern players, don't don't even carry a two or three iron anymore, hardly, do they? Quite agree. Yeah, quite agree. especially I'm the ladies. they. That- the ladies love the the hybrids. With the advent of the hybrids, it really it became an important tool for them. I know an old man who likes the hybrids too. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably if I played golf now, I'd like them also. One hand certainly probably had to be quite strong uh, in the hands. I wasn't very tall, but uh, I had a very upright swing also. Probably helped also. Yeah, and um, but even I mean in the um, I thought it was a very effective uh, club. Well, let's let's go to that uh, October of 1964 competition you referred to. Uh, 
just by circumstance, I suppose, it, it happened in your backyard, which was kind of neat as well. So this is the 1964 mm-hmm. Espiritu Santo. As I mentioned, it was the inaugural World uh, Team Championship that was sort of patterned after the, the Eisenhower Trophy, which uh, started at the old course in 1958. And uh, so we'll talk about that competition, but I want you to know, Catherine, that the, the other fellow on the screen there played in that inaugural men's event in 1958. That's funny. Yeah, and 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 yeah. and he was fortunate enough to be the low amateur, and the Australian team beat the Americans in a playoff. Good, was nice. <laughs> so yeah, it was a great memory. So you two yeah. share the bragging rights. You both played in the first yeah. World Team Championship. You both won it as individuals and as teams. Yeah, that's kind of neat. Good, good, fantastic. Yeah, and of course that was that was Bruce's first uh, opportunity to venture away from home in a big way from Australia, right, Bruce? Yeah, first first trip. Yeah, which is, I was close to home. That's certainly certainly than you. Yeah, but it's very exciting that tournament because I mean it was really when France, in any case, as I say, there were about thirty five thousand players in France. So to have it in France, Lali Sogar or Lali Saint Sauveur, who won also the British quite a few years before, um, she really made it up and made the, talked a lot to the Americans to have it done and made that tournament up and with a the lovely cup that we had from the family Espirito Santo. And uh, I mean, it's, mm. uh, it was an incredible event because it's really the start of French golf to go really forward. Obviously, Brigitte Vargo was very good, but um, she won in, I think, in 60, 64, no, 63, I think she won the first time. Mm-hmm. But there were there were two very good players, Claudine and uh, Brigitte, were fantastic players. And I yes. was I was five years younger, so it wasn't easy to, to get through, but uh, I managed it. It's funny because I used to play the French tournament and... Uh, after about 13 times losing against Brigitte in the French tournament, oh. I came up to in Montfontaine and uh, uh, she came up to the tea and said, you know, you never won against me. <laughs> she, was, she, was a bit, she was a bit tough also. <laughs> I, said, yeah. I said, okay, yes, but um, I won that, that time. She never won again. Yeah, I was going to say, her, uh, both of those names, your teammates, are going to come up again in future competitions where you prevailed. Sure. Uh, Probably a good time to to talk about uh, about uh, French golf, in particular some of the great French players. Uh, you know, I think for the typical uh, person stateside, uh, they probably don't know a lot of the names, particularly on the amateur side. There there's some professionals that they may know, but uh, uh, you know, I'll start on the men's side, and then we'll come to the to the ladies on the men's yeah. side. I think most people know. The tragic story of Jean Vandeveld at Carnoustie yeah. in 1999, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, correct. But that that's much later. It I is much say, later. I think uh, the, the, the the men, honestly, I think the women have always been in comparison better than the better than the men. Uh, hmm. Men in the the first women, obviously, was my mother, who was the one first one to win the the British 1927. Mm-hmm. She was only 19. And she'd won the girls before. And uh, men, apart from that, I mean, apart from the, the very, very far we met and things like that, which was yeah. much further, there were not very many French very good players 
uh, until perhaps no one felt and there are people like that. Yeah. yeah. And hmm. It's so because there are a lot of French with uh, Patricia and Anne-Marie Pali, which obviously won the, won the majors. And uh, right, now right. we have Céline Boutier, which is incredible. And there are quite, quite a few good, good ladies. Men, uh, there are not many that the one won the British or the the US uh, in the US. Uh, the, uh, the I think the women have done a better job. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, there was only one man, I think, one French male that has won a major championship. That being uh, Arnaud Massey in uh, in, the, yes. in the Open Championship in 1907, right? Fun enough. Massey is another story also, which I interest you. Massey, my mother knew very well. And uh, he was uh, in the inauguration of uh, Chantaco Golf Club, which was made by my grandfather in, in France, in Saint-Jean-de-Luz, near Biarritz. And uh, Massey was there in the inauguration. Ah. which is uh, So, I mean, they, I never knew him, but uh, he, my mother knew him well. And it was uh, another... Yeah. And that was an interesting leaderboard back in, in 1907. Uh, Ted Ray, H- H- Harry Varden, there were some great yeah. names uh, uh, on that leaderboard. I think J.H. Taylor might have been on that leaderboard. But uh, he was the only male. Uh, as you said, on the, on the, on the women's side, uh, you kicked it off in 1967. We'll come to that. And then, uh, and then Patricia won uh, the, the 2003 uh, uh, British, uh, or, or sorry, right, Dinah Shore. Uh, and then Celine, of course, uh, this year winning the Avion, right? Yeah. But I think you got to, to name also Anne-Marie Pali, who was a very, very good French player. She went over to the, play in the PGA at a time which was very difficult. And uh, I think she did a wonderful job to, to, to put up the French name in the United States. She didn't win mm. probably a major, but she was a very, very good player. Still very well known as she still lives over there. And uh, yeah, I think she's done a wonderful job. Well, Massey, after winning that 1907 Open, probably retired because uh, he took home 50 pounds for first prize. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how much I would have I would have had as a prize if I'd been a pro in 1967, if you got that data? Yes. $5,000. $5,000. Which yeah. is, you know, if you think about it, in 1959... When Gary Player won the Open Championship, the first prize was a thousand pounds. Yeah. In nineteen, let's call it seventy, might have been sixty-eight, uh, about at the same time, Open Championship paid twelve thousand pounds. Not much. Not much. No. 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 Well, that was one of the reasons why I think the American players uh, didn't. Didn't really go to you know, Arnold. I guess was the guy that really got the American players to go play in the British Open, or or mm. now called the The Open. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't official money either back in those days. Uh, sure. You know, now it is. Yeah, yeah. He he, he sort of uh, oh I don't know uh, tried to get to their emotional side. Like, hey, we have a responsibility here. For, for golf to come and yeah. compete in this event. It's not about the money or this particular mm. instance. Sure. It's about, it's about uh, making an appearance and, and so forth. And then once Palmer won, I think the popularity increased a little bit. Yeah. I think there's only, there's certainly, there's much more for the Open, obviously, in the U.S. Open, uh, the what it represents 
much more than money even nowadays, which is such a fortune, obviously. But yeah. uh, for very long, I think it's uh, to have won the US Open is marked down. Personally, my life, obviously, um, when I say I won the US Open, even somebody who doesn't play golf, they understand what it is. And uh, yeah. they, I think it's, a, it's sort of a title, pra- practically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's forward then from that spirit to Santu to something you've already mentioned, which is uh, being able to compete in the 1965 Women's U.S. Open at Atlantic City. So you would have just turned 20 years old, I guess. And you'd mentioned that there was a USGA committee woman. I think she was also team captain for the U.S. that you had had a chance to meet that sort of... Uh, Mrs. Prunery. Yes, encouraged you to come and give this a go, huh? Yes, Certainly. And uh, after I won the US Open, in fact, they were sweet because they invited me uh, the week after to go to Montreal, to Boston first. I played in the country club at Boston. Sure. They made me play and they took me to the Montreal uh, Expo uh, with them. And ah. uh, I mean, they were friends. I remember making uh, 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 scrambled eggs for them at the breakfast. Uh, just, uh, the, the house, they were really lovely people, both of them, Henry Henry, his, his uh, her husband, uh-huh. and Mildred, who was really fantastic people, very, very lovely. And uh, they they didn't come, I think, to the Open, even though they encouraged me to come because they were frightened that they put me nervous, oh. which was sweet. <laughs> yeah, that, I, think. I think that's typical, particularly of parents. You know, they don't want to jinx you. They're hiding behind trees. and. <laughs> yeah, but they weren't my parents, but they're... You know, yeah. it's sort of sweet and uh, very, very yeah. lovely people. Yeah, so as you mentioned, you came over on the big boat. You came with escorts. Your family came with you. And, and uh, uh, tell us about what it was like being a 20-year-old, being thrust into that environment with all these – I don't know. Did you know a lot about these players at the time? Not much, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you say escort. It, uh, it makes me smile because my parents were – well, they just enjoyed seeming play and everything. They're not, they weren't really my escort. It's changes. It's so different to the time now when you really have an escort at the time. The bands could be three, four, five people looking after you. A team. And especially yeah. remembers the year that I won the US Open. I'd asked in March, we started planning the, the tournament. And the, I said to my parents, they wanted to come with me. I said, I'd like, I'm 21 and I'm going to be 22. Like a little independent uh, person, I said, I'd like to go by myself. And uh, they said, well, okay. And uh, I really did go by myself because uh, I went, uh, I took the plane to to, uh, John Federal Kennedy, then by myself with my suitcase, my golf bag, and then took a um, helicopter to go to the other one. La Guardia, and then from yeah. there took another little plane to, to Virginia because it was played in Hot Springs. And um, I, I couldn't uh, rent a car because if I wasn't 22, I couldn't rent a car at that time. And I came up and I was a bit ahead of time and I went to see the, the uh, pro, pro uh, that was there and I asked him if I could play and uh, if by any chance if he was free, if he could come and play with me. And he played with me 18 holes. Uh, we found a local caddy, which Calvin Lloyd, which is a wonderful caddy, and uh, went around the course. It seems so different to what uh, happens nowadays. I didn't uh, have a, my own caddy. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a, 
what all the companies that, that the players nowadays. And even when, I, in fact, I made great friends with a, a family that was, after that I've been still, I'm still friends with them, the Prestons, who were mm -hmm. just having a holiday in the motel at the same time. And there were three children. I bathed in the swimming pool with them. Exactly. It's so different to what we do nowadays. Yeah. And um, that was the way. Uh, funnily enough, another little anecdote that you'd, you'll enjoy. Uh, two weeks before, I played the British. In fact, I played six times the British, and my mother came every time before I'd be able to win it. And um, I played the, the one that was in uh, Wales. And uh, so uh, I played it. I won the um, qualifying. It was uh, the first the 36 hole qualifying, then match play. And I was qualified first, and I had to play with a Number 32, who is another French girl, and uh, she beat me in uh, in 18 holes. I think everything that's going to happen, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And my mother had a wonderful say at that time, it might be a blessing in disguise. She obviously didn't know the future, but yeah. it's, she was uh, brought up in England, and she had the, it's a very, very British comment of a blessing in disguise <laughs> and yeah. uh, it was a blessing in disguise because I didn't tire out in the six rounds of match play and I went a bit earlier to United States and went on to win the US Open. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game and please wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify if you like what you hear please subscribe spread the word and tell your friends until we tee it up again for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle. Quiet. Away.